Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Hey. It's myself, Julia Cooper. And it's me, Matt Lupalia. I'm silencing my phone. <laughs> this is the podcast. What do we know? We're back. We're back. Uh, we had a brief hiatus while I had a nervous breakdown and went home for a week. And then I got my cast off. That, so which is huge. Things. And I got a bike. Yes. Huge news. That's like our... That's our, our full catch-up. Yeah, like we were sitting here like, what's happened recently? It's like, oh, well, uh, I got a bike. Yeah. <laughs> I ate oysters the other day. <laughs> Which, like, are huge. Yeah. As we were huge. saying, compared to, like, what has been going on the last few weeks. Like, yeah. That's momentous. Indeed. So now I, I'm s- 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 cycling around town and wheeling wheeling and de- dealing but not dealing because the law the law trying not to have a criminal record love that because i'm applying to, to jobs still which i would course, like to yeah. not have one as mm. i continue to do that i mean it could be your job you know you could just fully pivot to dealing wheeling and dealing to wheeling and dealing yeah that's true it might be more sustainable in this economy. I know, <laughs> nah. honestly. But it's you, like, you don't have to be dealing like like a shysty business. You could be dealing sure, like I could be dealing Girl Scout cookies. I could sort of take on Uber Eats and like Dude, DoorDash. Yeah. yeah, people do that on bikes. Um, have you ever been arrested? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever? Not that I can have remember. You ever had the police called on you? On me? Yeah. No. Even campus police? I was going to say, I've called campus police before. Oh, okay. Well, right, because you're that man. Yeah, you were there. You were high out of your mind. <laughs> no, I wasn't there, was I? Maybe you had just left. I had just left. I just picked up the goods. Yeah. <laughs> and then proceeded to melt into a hill. Yeah, seriously. I've Part of me is still there. <laughs> I was at um, a 4th of July celebration that was intentionally not branded as a 4th of July celebration. Mm-hmm. That was in a backyard and it was like had just rained. So like the backyard was super muddy and it was giving me huge like Hamilton, New York, Frater Day vibes. Like people yeah. were playing beer pong in the muddy backyard. I was like, this is Frater Day. And Remember I'm, Frater Day? No. Damn, we're old. I mean, I, I haven't said that word out loud in years. I said it the other day because i was trying to describe what it was like and i was like frater day and everyone was like what (laughs) um but it was surreal to be like oh people are doing this yeah oh my god i didn't stay long um in in news of like someone who definitely doesn't listen to this podcast will use their full name (laughs) i was at the wine press i was at the wine press getting like corona and stuff to bring for a fourth of july like afternoon thing we were going to not in a backyard with beer pong it wasn't a backyard but there was no beer pong okay um somehow it becomes more okay if it's not in a backyard beer pong yeah it's okay if it's not in a backyard our backyard's okay without beer pong yes okay well, for backyard some reason, plus beer pong equals Friday. Friday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like an if the, if then situation. Yeah. Speaking of Fridays, uh-huh. I was at the wine press picking stuff up with Colin and also like we were both kind of like we don't want to get not enough beer for people because we were kind of put in charge of this element of the celebration. But we also don't want to get too much mm-hmm. and like just uh, way over 
like because it's like i was given here here was the shopping list i was given um el presidente beer if they don't have el presidente corona what is el presidente beer it's like dominican beer okay um and then quote white people beer oh so like um, bud light <laughs> and then something to make a fun cocktail with and then maybe some wine that's a lot so I, we got a case of corona uh-huh. uh bottles and then a mix pack of like a harpoon variety pack and a zero okay. gravity variety pack for white people beer sure fair and then like a box of rosé which we ended up not drinking and just brought back to Cambridge. Um, and then some like nice quality rum to make mojitos. Cool. Oh, also I was told to get a handle of Tito's. So we also had a handle oh, of Tito's. Wait, is mojitos have rum? Yeah, like white rum. Wow. I guess I just never thought about what was in a mojito. It is rum. Mojitos we are got, great. Yeah, we got some really nice like privateer, some local stuff. Cool. Um. But yeah, so while I'm at the wine press and I'm like kind of, A, have just like worked a full day and I'm tired and I have to come back and pack and get ready to drive to the Cape for the 4th of July. And also like very conscious of wanting to do my boss proud with my beer sure. picking outage. Yeah. And so I'm like strategizing with Colin. What do we want to get? Yada, yada, yada. Who walks into the wine press but no. Gary Mike and his well, boyfriend? Question mark. Uh, <laughs> and then Colin wait. was like, "There's Gary Mike," and I'm like, "Cause Gary Mike's a regular at the wine press." I was gonna say I remember um, him living in the area or like seeing him like walk by or something when yeah. I was in the area. Yeah, and so I guess Gary Mike's a regular, and he like wore a Colgate shirt one day, and he so he Colin was like, "Oh yeah, like my girlfriend went to Colgate. I wonder if you know each other." And he's like, yeah, I know her. But then fully did not make contact with Gary Mike in this wine press moment. I was like, I'm not having did this he, conversation Did you right like now. lock eyes and, and no, make No, but Colin very much was like, there's Gary decision. Mike. Wow. <laughs> and, and you're like, thanks. Also, like at some point in college, I think Gary Mike like rebranded, like and wasn't going by Gary Mike anymore. I honestly But it's like we never... were friends like freshman year. So it's like I knew him as Gary Mike. So I don't okay. know. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> Boyfriend huge. Yeah. I hate to be that person that's like my gaydar is <laughs> surprisingly astute astute yeah but um <laughs> fair yeah i'm all i say is i w- i was not surprised yeah by this news and in fact celebrate it yeah we love that uh we wish he wasn't like a weird social climby frat boy Aww. but like we love that he's happy now yeah maybe i'll see him again and i'll be in more of a headspace to be like here's an acquaintance because it's like, you know, in a post-COVID world, it's like you haven't run into an acquaintance in no. like many moons. And for me to be like, oh my God, crazy running into you here. Yeah. Like, I just did not have the bandwidth for it that afternoon. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Um, I was, I actually think I saw, Um, did you know Jackson Lucas? Yes. Of that same Of group. Gary Mike. <laughs> I, I want to say maybe they lived together. I think they do. Because it was in the Trader Joe's. Because they used to live in this neighborhood and then their building burned down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I was in the Trader Joe's when, when Aaron was visiting. We were there and I was like, I think that's someone from... But it was like, couldn't masks were on. Mm. And I was like, is that... And I was like, do you know him? And she's like, no, absolutely not. So then... But I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. There you go. Trader Joe's brings in all the people oh, okay i have to say 
um because i am most likely moving to somerville mm-hmm. which like yes amazing exciting Cele- let's celebrate it we cheers are. confetti all of that no trader trader joe's d- desert i in know somerville and I like know. it's sad moving outside of gentrification <laughs> yeah it's just you lose a lot it's like when you actually finally get priced out of your own neighborhood and it's like yeah shit dog <laughs> it's like trader joe's is there everything's great and then it's not anymore well um if you ever need a ride to trader joe's Thanks. you know it's one of my favorite places in the world so yeah. i'm more than happy to facilitate that kind of an experience we, maybe we need to like set up a a running like trader joe's date yeah. of like this afternoon we go grocery shopping yeah we're gonna be such like little housewives i know we're like back to the suburbs uh, errands as if we can call <laughs> we go make a deposit at the bank and then yeah. pick up my dry cleaning. i have a couple letters to put in the post <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, dying. So. Meanwhile, Evan and Colin are home drinking beer, watching sports. Yeah. Doing my business. hungry guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing business. Yeah, I don't know what people, what people I don't do. Know, I, don't <laughs> people I don't know how gender roles work. <laughs> I love I love this. Yes. Construction. We can get like all like dressed up. We can go get our nails done. We'll yeah. Make, like a whole day. Make sh- head. I'm picturing like hair scarves. Yes, that's exactly what. Even I though imagine. the windows like are bonnet. up. Yeah. Even though the windows are up. Yeah. And it's like a covered. Cl- We're giving car. like um, like what Lana Del Rey thinks women should look <laughs> like energy. <laughs> yeah. In like both a positive and a negative sense, like uh, yes. like parentheses derogatory. <laughs> <laughs> like parentheses reclaimed question mark (laughs) yeah reclaimed slash derogatory right (laughs) queer coded (laughs) absolutely yeah big todd haynes far from heaven yes very that um oh i finally watched an amadovar movie oh cool which which uh in english it's called i'm so excited oh in espanol it's uh Los Pasajeros Amores. Los Amores Pasajeros. I'm guess, is it one of his earlier ones? It's newer, but it's like oh. not huge. Interesting. Um, But it takes place all on a plane. Fun. That like they're not sure if it's going to crash or not. No snakes? Or? No snakes. Okay. Um, But like the flight attendants are all like drunk and like <laughs> drugged the economy class passengers so that they Fair. would fall asleep. And then so it's just like the first class and the pilots and the flight attendants like navigating existential turmoil via comedy wow Th- i mean it sounds great yeah his approach to genre is like i don't have one right i love i mean it was great. very much like i wanted to watch airplane right after like yeah. I, w- I would double feature this with airplane for sure it like it wasn't a straight-up comedy but like there's a musical number mm-hmm. it's very like flagrantly gay mm. in a way that like i really enjoy in a way that's also very particularly spanish slash european fair yeah of, like um, I like for some reason the way that like queerness is portrayed in European comedy films is like very special. Sure, like made. <laughs> you mean like made by queer folks, right? Right. Obviously, right. and not. um, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like there's just more of that that I've been exposed to in yeah. Europeans, pr- particularly Spanish cinema, than I have in the U.S. It's like when I think of like queer movies in the United States, I, I'm thinking like moonlight and call me by your name Mm -hmm. which like argue like those aren't american directors yeah uh, yeah barry jenkins is okay but also there's something about queer cinema in america that is like if it's gay it's boy coming of age yeah it's sad boy coming of age i'm like love simon if it's if it's girl it's prestige period piece lesbian drama 
right where it's like that's i mean obviously whereas when i think about like queerness i think about like bright colors like bold it's an aesthetic choice yeah Yeah, aesthetic that's like exactly what i'm thinking about but it's like i think there's a a fear on the part of maybe writers and directors in the u.s like in the conversation of like quote-unquote cancel culture of like making Mm. gay things be the punchline but it's like sometimes like queer shit's funny yeah like there's this whole exchange where it's like um like all of the flight attendants are like gay men mm-hmm. and the pilots are like coming to terms with being bisexual <laughs> throughout this film in a way that's very funny but also very yeah. like real and human and it's like i think there's a, a concern about laughing at humanness in a queer context sure. in some like for some writers but i guess obviously if you're not a queer writer that's territory you don't want to fuck with but like yeah um i don't know i just thought it was like very well done and i was like i really appreciate this um the the aesthetic choices here like it very much like um i could see the spanishness of it as well Mm -hmm. and kind of like the tropes that like choica town plays off of like which is one of my favorite movies um but yeah it was just it was a joy it was a delight yeah i should send you a couple of the things that i watched in one of the classes i took i don't think they're spanish but there was one in mexico one in mexico one in maybe cuba or 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 it was somewhere and they were cuban i don't know but i but similar i would say it's similar to the way you're describing this aesthetic and like this kind of campy yeah it's like it's campy in a way that isn't like um campy slash derogatory (laughs) you know what i mean it's like it's campy slash celebratory and like Mm -hmm. um i don't know it felt very very human but also very funny yeah and it was like dark and weird but also like super goofy yeah um which is why i was kind of like i want to watch airplane now yeah (laughs) which i haven't seen oops yeah (laughs) um put it on the list put it on the list um i also watched eraserhead last night also haven't seen that it is capital s surrealism for sure okay um that that's been my impression and it's like we also recently watched um david lynch the art life like the documentary about him and he's like obsessed with like or not obsessed with but he's um attentive to the aesthetics of like industrial philadelphia okay which is really pays off in eraserhead and it's like in interviews about it he talks a lot about how it's like in his mind it takes place in philly Hmm. um but it's shot in la but he was talking about like the difficulties of like finding locations to shoot that didn't feel like they were in la that felt like they were philly um which is very interesting in this kind of like industrial dystopia like um he talks about it as beauty it comes across visually as like pretty gross yeah but like gross like but also like very like cinematically mm-hmm. like interesting and like very like gorgeous like shots and framing of like things that are gross like typically kind of like gruesome yeah An- another aesthetic yeah just a different one but it was very like it was reminding me of all the things that we talked about in college about surrealism with like how one of like the kind of touchstones of like a marquez style of surrealism is that like all of the characters involved are going about like these are all normal things that are happening Mm -hmm. and that generates the sort of unease in the viewer or the reader 
that like these aren't normal things that like the characters look like us and they are in a world that looks like ours but things are happening that do not pertain to how we experience the world yeah and the fact that these characters in a world that looks like ours that look like us talk like us whatever are acting like all of these things are so normal and commonplace to them like generates like a very specific like uneasiness mm-hmm. um in in the viewer um that is like a hallmark of surrealism of like particularly like marquez it's like oh like magic is happening but like no one is like oh my god it's magic i didn't think magic was real it's yeah. like oh no this is like just like the characters are reacting as if this is a common normal thing mm-hmm. and that's like a key key element that i thought was very prominent in Eraserhead, cool. and then just like generally the visuals were like i could really see like boonwell dolly okay um but again like my point of reference is obviously uh steeped in uh spanish cinema um sure. and art but it yeah. i was like damn i have not seen i've not been exposed to a lot of american surrealism or yeah. particularly like <coughs> more modern iterations of surrealism that brings like it is in the tradition of mm-hmm. like capital s like this is surrealism but also again really broad genre that has yeah i don't know a lot of angles the last time i saw something surrealist or like american surrealist specifically um i mm, yeah no i was i've been watching a lot of peter greenaway films british director who's like very um definitely like an aesthetic of his own mm-hmm. um and his most i would say like his most famous feature the cook the thief his wife and her lover um is very like brechtian in the sense that like it's very like you see that it's a set kind of mm-hmm. Or, like, maybe you don't see that it's a set, but you get, like, a full visual of the spaces that they're in Mm -hmm. at a time. Um, And, like, it's just really creatively done in that sense. And there's a bunch happening with, like, the lighting and costume changes as, like, they go between room or go between spaces and, like, their costume will change, but it's continuous. Cool. Um, And then it's obviously just, like, very tongue-in-cheek but also dark social commentary mm-hmm. um but yeah so not quite surrealist and more like just sort of an avant-garde approach to like what filmmaking can be and right. do because it's because you get like whenever things are very theatrical and it's like oh this could be a stage production but it's yeah. filmed mm-hmm it's like okay what what can you get from this it's like close-up shots right like that's something that film can only do but then these like costume changes and stuff introduce like this other element that can only be done in film and not on stage unless like i don't know you had some drag queens in the costume department that are like like, we got these wardrobe changes down but yeah that's really interesting like also with eraserhead i was um, well, because also, like, I decided this has always been like on the list of things that me and Colin want to watch together because he's a huge David Lynch fan, mm-hmm. and I've never seen it. 
And it's been coming up recently because on TikTok, there's a meme of like an interview with David Lynch where he's saying like, actually, Eraserhead's my most spiritual film. And then the interviewer says, oh, elaborate on that. And he says, no, I will not. Oh, yeah. And so people have been like using that to be like, here's my hot take that I won't elaborate on. Uh Um, (laughs) And so I was like, I have like, and also there's a line in Bo Burnham's Inside about Eraserhead Mm -hmm. that like, I was like, okay, so Eraserhead's just kind of like been in my periphery these last couple weeks. I want to watch it. We're watching it tonight. Um, or like we were trying to decide what do we want to watch tonight. I was like, I really want to watch Razorhead if you're down. Yeah. And Colin gave me the heads up. He's like, okay, like how awake are you feeling? Because it's <laughs> like a slow, like dimly lit, uh, not a lot of dialogue movie. Yeah. So I was, I went into that being like, I was a fairly awake, and B, I was like, okay, I will like be very cognizant of what's going on, um, to make sure I'm not like I don't because I, I fell asleep during the art life and I have to rewatch part oh. of it because. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did really want to because the problem is I keep doing this to things that I really want to be watching. Yeah. But yeah. I've just been having a time a recently. Time. So I'll just like pass out. Um, yeah. But he was like, it's, it's a slow, dimly lit movie. Are you really <laughs> are you feeling up to it? Because he's like, I will watch it. It's like a great movie. Um, How many times has he seen it? This is his third time. He says okay. the first couple times he watched it, he was high <laughs> okay and he's, he's like i like he's like i don't smoke weed anymore and he's like i, I have not watched it like in the past Sense. couple years yeah. so he's like it'll be a, a new experience um watching it uh more alert um is it really long it's also? not particularly long okay it's like standard feature film. in my head it's like one like three hours and right because when, when he said how awake are you feeling i was like oh is it really long and he's like no it's just like it's black <laughs> and white and it's not yeah. very uh it's uh, pretty non-narrative right. i would say um but but yeah so i was like paying a lot of attention to different things that stood out to me and like lingering on them in my brain a little bit longer as a means of staying awake and also because he makes a lot of interesting choices to pay attention to mm-hmm. and i was thinking a lot about how in a lot of the david lynch work that i've seen there is always like a stage within a film mm. like there's always like a performer with a microphone yeah. with a spotlight and i'm like the choice and I never really thought of it before, but I was like, there's something interesting going on that I can't quite like pin down when it comes to putting a stage and like a stage performance inside of like a cinematic work. Uh-huh. Um, and also like one of the things Colin really likes about Eraserhead is the use of light and like just how well hmm. lit it is for like a black and white movie, like the contrast. Yeah. Um, and like like there are t- there are times where you can tell like that was kind of a the like there are choices being made with lighting in mm-hmm. these moments um that are uh, have successful visual payoff um but yeah i was thinking a lot about that and then i was also thinking a lot about because so much of it is so abstract and like visually bizarre that and this is something that you might have insight on as someone who makes films mm. like i was thinking about like how much of like what would this look like in the screenplay and how much of this work was like because i mean david lynch is someone who clearly makes very intentional art mm-hmm. yeah how yeah. much of this was kind of preconceived like here is the thing that i want this to look like and i want it to happen like this and how much of it is like you go to the space and you see opportunities and then like reevaluate things add things take things out and how like i like i I was just like 
I had never really considered it before, but like the relationship between like screenplay writing mm. and directing and how that pay and editing even and how that pays off in like yeah. the final work. And like, especially with something that's like so visually unique that it's like, this is clearly someone had this very specific idea mm-hmm. and having watched the art life and seen a lot of his non-film art and like kind of the work he does with like texture and yeah. color in like painting which is like also very uniquely like i don't know like viscerally reactive doesn't he also do like sculptures yeah and And like he he like i don't like he uses just like weird materials Mm -hmm. and things that like i wouldn't like naturally attach to but like you can tell he has like a specific thing that he's going for and but at the same time it's like how much of it is like spontaneously right created and how much of it is like painstakingly curated and i wonder if you have any insight on that as someone who makes films yeah i think it comes down to budget ultimately it's like how much can you spend acquiring the perfect location or turning a location into the perfect location um like how much like how many locations people can you send out there to like find the right spot and someone like david lynch i have only seen like a couple of his films but he seems like someone who can be a bit uncompromising in a good way like right. he knows and eraser is his first feature film and it was oh, done okay. with uh the afi like with a grant okay so it was like very it was low so budget soon. yeah um in it was, that, ni- in it that was case, 77 i think yeah in that case it probably was a lot of like I need a performance venue like very generally and like like you said it should have maybe this industrial feel to it um but I think most most filmmakers would would agree that you have to like work with the things you find and like sometimes that's the fun of it right um there are directors who like are super strict about their scripts in terms of dialogue and stuff and like people have to memorize every um and every like and every pause um and i think that that kind of control over the art applies to locations and stuff too like they're probably more more um inflexible unflexible um so yeah, I wonder if it was so early in his career if some of it was more um going with the flow. Right. I guess m- like I am thinking about like or cuz I was thinking about your thesis film too and especially when you're working with other people and mm-hmm. like their creative work and you include sketches mm-hmm. um done by a friend of yours who does yeah uh does art. Yeah. Um and it's like if you have like how do you explain to someone or i guess i'm like my big picture question is how does something get from screenplay yeah to being directed like i like kind of had a sudden realization of like there is so much if you are putting together a film that needs to be considered and so many things that feel like they are difficult to put like pen to paper right where it's like like I would love to see just like a couple pages of the screenplay from Eraserhead to be like, how was this visual moment like explained in 
writing to yeah. like communicate to the people who David because obviously David Lynch was like all hands on deck for like mm-hmm. this film like he basically did not he did all of it but like he was involved in every part of the process uh-huh. um but it's like if I were working on like a big budget project where it's like it's a lot of people are involved in putting something together how can I say like oh like the light is gonna be like this and the there's going to be this very specific like vinyl static but also like xyz mm-hmm. like because it's like to me some of the shots feel extremely intentional and like curated and like thought out beforehand but again so much of that is also entangled in like where you are and making decisions on the fly but it's like if you are someone like david lynch and you have a very specific vision mm-hmm but you also have limitations and other people that you need to communicate this vision to in order to make it happen. How do you, how is it, how do you do it? How does it happen? Yeah. I mean, a lot, Movie of, magic. <laughs> a lot of those details you mentioned are just straight up, not in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Like one of the tenets, tenants of writing screenplays is like, don't over describe things. Mm-hmm. Just like get a sense of a place if you need to. Um, like a sense of what things look like and then focus on the action and the dialogue. Um, I think that these details do show up in scripts if someone knows that they're going to have more creative control mm-hmm. um, or if they already have places in mind and like certain tableaus in mind or something. But usually all of that is then like coordinated with the cinematographer and like the production designers and the like electricians and gaffers and all of that to like make it look the way that it's been envisioned by the director um but uh, i mean like i have found it to be really frustrating i think we've talked about this with like learning to write screenplays Mm -hmm. um and being told that there's a right way to do it and that right way is for it to be a ske- like very much a skeleton mm-hmm. um and usually although not always the director will have some like some sway over th- what's in the script pretty much everything that happens on set depending on like producer oversight and how like intense that is and then editing usually too depending mm-hmm. and like then there's the whole debate about final cut and stuff like who has the final cut is it the director david lynch i don't know at that point he probably had final cut yeah i think he was like one of the editors as well yeah um and he did a lot of the sound design okay yeah and that's another thing it's like rarely are sounds in screenplays unless it's like a really specific noise cue that alerts someone to something interesting so it's like if there's an ambient noise like it might not even be mentioned usually not i mean like interesting i like for example working with a friend now on a script that's i mean it's pretty much done um and shooting in september hopefully is this the the one that we've been talking about the one in jordan yes um (gasps) it's in jordan now that was gonna be in germany so it was originally oh my god it was originally but that was international film superstar over here so it's shooting in jordan but i mean because he's directing it and we were working on it together we could put things in the screenplay that were like sounds of a place like impressions of things and 
um, the way a character might react that isn't externalized at all mm-hmm. um, or like just more figurative language that would generally be very frowned upon but it's like because we know that it's just the two of us working with the script and he's directing it so it's not like we then have to yeah so like in that case it becomes allowable and I think in those modes of filmmaking where I don't want to call it like auteur filmmaking because I feel like neither of us are established enough to to call it that but like right when the process is more cohesive and like usually it's smaller um then it allows you a little bit more room at least in the screenplay to do that to have like a sense of how it will all go it's like it's it's like an opposite of a bell curve if that makes sense where it's like you have the most control almost when it's like super low budget and like very few people right and then it goes down and then back up if you're like huge name yeah, huge creative like influence steven spielberg right. and like everyone's like whatever you say goes man yeah. yeah yeah so very interesting so when it came to like when you're working on your thesis film and you wanted to solicit these sketches oh, yeah. from your friend like how did you communicate like here's how i'm like did you like how much did you let on of like here's how it's going to be placed in the film here's kind of how i imagine right. it i want these colors i want this energy like yeah. how much um did you like impart on that i mean i I knew that it was going to be a collaborative thing where it was like i want to see what you come up with too um and i didn't really know exactly how i would use them i basically sent her a bunch of references of harlow's experiments of interactive art pieces that i was sort of inspired by um some like just like aesthetically like what some sketches looked like that I thought could be helpful and then speaking of Peter Greenaway I was watching like his earlier films which are more experimental like fake documentary type things and he he does a lot with like drawn pictures and painted things and images and stuff so I sent stills of that too where I'm like I'm thinking they'll just be on screen you know um and so then she would like send an idea and i'd be like this is great i like this um and then was like i'm using this red colored pencil like i think it looks good like what do you think in terms of color and i was like i like the red i think they should all be red um and then yeah there were only a couple that i was like here's an idea i have like what do you think and she's like yeah i can do that um so it was very much a collaboration i think if i had more of an understanding of what i wanted to do with them i could be like this is exactly what i want and it would be more like a commissioned piece than like a collaborative like hashing out these ideas for art pieces that will never exist but yeah very cool so i think it's about obviously the intention of like is this a commission or a collaboration um but i guess you're asking more like how do you get how do 
how does a creative vision pass from person to person right which i mean is like something that like i'm obsessed with when it comes to like language and like the field of linguistics is like the impossible task of Mm -hmm. thing that exists inside my brain as like fucking vibes dude yeah and then taking that turning it into language and then using that language to Mm -hmm. then put that idea into someone else's brain and how many things need to go right along the way in order for that to be successful Mm -hmm. and i mean that's an impossible task of like human connection Mm -hmm. and even like especially like the thing that like i'm getting so kind of not like impressed isn't the word i'm thinking of like mind blown is like too dramatic but like the thing that's really like firing me up thinking about a racer head because it's like do i think i'll watch it again probably not not my favorite movie of all time not gonna lie to you but like it really like set me on this like train of thought of like Hmm. how do you even a come like have this visual idea and then execute it like i mean also like like knowing you i have kind of more of an understanding of what goes into a filmmaking process and it's like how how does something that's like because to me again it's like this is like a work of lynch's that is like very uh specific creative vision and how do you dude with specific creative vision like execute a project of that scale like to a point that like you feel like you did what you needed to do like Mm um yeah and it's like i'm even remembering like when you were working on your thesis film it's like you found a box of paper on the side of the road (laughs) and you were like oh this is gonna be great for my film it's not like you wrote that into the fucking screenplay you weren't like oh yeah and then there's this salvaged box of paper (laughs) that i'm going to like like photoshop scrolling text on too like yeah that wasn't like i don't know which in those things like like, films are just such big projects because like i think about like writing a short story writing a novel like these Mm -hmm. are words on page which like not not to sell that task short at all but like the length and just like sheer scope of what goes into making a film Mm -hmm. like there's sound there's light there's color there's editing there's acting like there's so many layers of things that need to happen in like tandem and in harmony in order to successfully execute this creative vision and it's like working on your thesis film like you're you were kind of not a one-man show but like yeah a very few man show (laughs) one and a half man right or i'm thinking like the opening shot where it's like this um cement industrial uh uh, item in a (laughs) field yeah and it's like i'm like talking to you now it's like i imagine that this you're you writing the screenplay wasn't like man stands behind mysterious cement totem with like head like perfectly obscured in the shot and then turns and then walks and then the shot shape like yeah no not like i'm sure that's not spelled out i mean at that point i didn't even have like my the only script i had was the voiceover and the like dialogue exchange that happens on the paper um which i think depending on how experimental the film is there won't be a script um but yeah and i think so i think you're right that all of these things have to converge and like converge to make a film yeah it's like the confluence of all these different um things to ultimately create this one vision but the thing with film is that it's so fragmented and and it's so piecemeal mm-hmm. and 
also something that works in your favor is it's visual so you can draw out storyboards and be like this is what i want the framing to be like Mm. um and it's like you really do take it step by step where like each scene you know that takes place in one place it's like all right we're working on this like we're making sure this all looks how we want it to and then like each shot specifically is like this is how we want it to look every take of that shot is like this is what we want the performance to be like these are the sounds that we want to capture although even some of that is done asynchronously anyway um so like yes ultimately it does have to come together but it is so broken up into pieces into segments and that is part of what has deterred me i think from pursuing like a more narrative filmmaking approach which is what i originally went into grad school thinking i would shift to but for some reason that method which like obviously does not apply to every single work of film but like that that process of breaking things up into pieces to having an idea shattering it into these fragments right um and then piecing it back together is is like not an approach that i find that fulfilling yeah and would much rather just start with the fragments and put it together if that makes sense yeah so that it's it's super interesting because it's like i find myself feeling like physically daunted Mm -hmm. like not like someone's ever gonna come up to me like julia make an experimental (laughs) film but like i don't even know know. how to how one would approach that task of having like a full like wholesale vision of what to Mm -hmm. do on a screen for an hour and a half of like a start to like and i guess the what the point you're getting at is that it's like often you don't have like you don't have in your mind a whole movie already done a lot of it is um, making adjustments on the fly seeing things that make sense like expanding things that are mm-hmm. uh, successful and are helping to develop the vision adding things that are mm-hmm. speaking to the work that you're creating taking things out that feel unnecessary yeah it's just yeah. like the whole the whole uh it feels it feels like a lot and like yeah. it would be creatively exhausting mm-hmm. <laughs> to so, a certain yeah. extent like uh, like drain like probably simultaneously like fulfilling and draining yeah like very satisfying to complete something of that scale but also like suck the life out of you a little bit yeah like it's so dynamic yeah. i think is what makes filmmaking exciting like nothing is going to be the same it's all very fluid i imagine that there have been films made exactly how they were set out to be made down Mm -hmm. to like the composition of each shot and that sounds really boring yeah um but i'm sure it's been done so yeah wild world to create to create indeed to create um i'm forgetting where we where we began but <laughs> it's I not know, important I, I uh yeah i mean i watched that last night so it's been still something i'm kind of like wrapping my head around also it's like i was reminded of kind of the 
joy of surrealism that mm-hmm. I had kind of like beaten out of me in when I did a whole semester on surrealism like, wow, in, in the place sucks. that surrealism started. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it was cool to like, I don't know, resonate with that again and kind of like uh, pick out those kind of hallmark features of such a wacky genre mm-hmm. that is difficult to put boundaries on. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a very expansive genre because it's like also we were taught me and colin were talking about is eraserhead horror and like what Hmm. does the genre of horror entail and i was like i don't find it particularly scary i find it like there are moments that are like gruesome right but also not in a not in like a violence way yeah like it is i I like uh unsettling in -hmm. a lot of ways um uncanny kind of uh like uneasy mm-hmm. but i was like i'm not convinced it's horror right. um but i guess it's like this is a film that people struggle to put into a genre box but i was like mm-hmm. oh, it's because it's surrealism baby yeah yeah and yeah but yeah it's very cool very cool film nice does a lot and i understand why people talk about it all the time and uh famously david lynch's most most spiritual work <laughs> yeah and d- d- don't ask him to explain do that. not ask him to explain <laughs> Or there was, uh, we were watching, like, because Colin has the Criterion DVD, so we were watching a couple, mm-hmm. like, interviews with David Lynch that were included in the supplements, and there was another thing that um, an interviewer asked him that I don't even, it wasn't even particularly important, but, like, he said something, and then the interviewer was like, oh, expand on that, and he was like, no, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> um, yeah. But he was also, like, way younger in that interview, so then he kind of did go on to explain mm-hmm. kind of what he meant by some things. Um which was like in again still a very lynchian way but sure but yeah i'm also convinced this man is like fully a serial killer like yeah he, he's like yeah we found there- like this rat on set and i like put nair on it to remove all the hair from it and like we got this dead cat from a vet and like put that into and i'm just like what the fuck and i'm like these are two things that also didn't even end up in the movie these are just other things that were being considered yeah. as like elements of the film I was just like, this dude's fucking weird as hell. But like, the, I this he also is seems like very jolly, like in a mm. in a disarming way. I remember somebody introducing me to like all these David Lynch conspiracy theories that I don't I don't even remember the details of them. Oh, I'll have to. But one of them was definitely like he is like the Zodiac killer, or just like something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a Reddit thread somewhere. Yeah. of All the David Lynch conspiracy theories. Yeah. So. I've only seen Mulholland Drive. I have not seen that one yet. And the Twin Peaks one. Firewalk with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next up on the David Lynch docket for me is so I saw Blue Velvet recently as well. Which yeah, I've been meaning to see, but I really like that. I've been unable um, to find it anywhere. Well, I have it on, or not? I have it, but Colin has it on DVD. If you would like to helpful screen that at some point um i gotta see mulholland drive dune did he make dune yeah like the 80s one yeah wow i had no idea that was him he made that right after Eraserhead. wow <laughs> that's wow that's quite the trajectory yeah i mean makes sense kyle mclaughlin's in it no yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, wow never knew that was david lynch yeah it's like i was telling colin about how or er, like when we were watching this interview i was like yeah this man's for sure like mutilated some animals 
but um he, he was like yeah he's like i every time i hear him talk about stuff i get this like really uneasy feeling of like his like he's like he doesn't seem violent but like mm. it seems like twisted and weird but he's like he's there are all these people who are so obviously like very good cool people that like are super tight with him he's like laura dern yeah Kyle mclaughlin like yeah he's like if they're all like oh my god david lynch is the nicest kindest coolest man alive then like he's got to be fine right like yeah <laughs> yeah did i tell you we've talked since i've watched willie's wonderland right i don't know oh my god i love this movie it has like one star on something uh, like okay. it's not getting highly rated wait Nicolas this Cage. isn't the okay wait e- keep going this uh, is the one that's like mandy but different yes <laughs> okay i think you texted me about it yes at some point um it's a joy i mean i'm like fully a Nicolas cage stand at this point sure um like mandy willie's wonderland there's national treasure we, national oh. national treasure we watched recently um, what's the one where he's like a twin and spike jones directed it no idea it's like an anathema or something sure. no or actually no it, it might just be called like no it's called adaptation i haven't oh, seen it i haven't seen it but i have like I've, i'm aware of it peripherally I, i'm not even sure if he's a twin to be honest i just feel like yeah okay but there's the one where it's like there's aliens kind of it's also a newer one uh it's like purple it's not like it's purple. i'm not th- the thing i'm about to say is not the title of the movie i cannot stress this enough okay. but it's something along the lines of like purple is the warmest color <laughs> 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 yeah I have it's no like idea. the color of moons or like some <laughs> shit <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um i have my notebook right here i can t- <laughs> i can tell us what this movie is oh you okay um, yeah, I, I have no idea. I'm um, like, Moonstruck? Is, is it Moonstruck? <laughs> it's actually Moonlight in one best oh. picture. <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, this is a live fact check, folks. Don't count on this again. Um, the color of the, mo- the moon. The color of the moon. I, let me just read you every movie I've seen in 2020 so far. Ratatouille, the well, TikTok musical. Well, it's 2021. Yeah, every movie I've watched in 2021. Oh, I was like, oh. <laughs> um, Ratatouille, the TikTok musical, Soul, uh, Santa, the fascist years, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Seven Days in Hell, Twist, Heaven's Gate, the Cult of Cults, Class Action Park, You and I and You, History of Swear Words, Snowpiercer, Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, Spore. Spore was great spore have we talked about spore no it sounds sci-fi it's like a swedish maybe northern european uh oh polish it's polish um uh kind of drama thriller that follow it's all it's like an environmentalist kind of vibe okay but very cool movie highly recommend uh sorry to bother you the mystery of db cooper wandavision i also put tv series that i watched like basically in one sitting on this chart uh crime scene uh the vanishing at the cecil hotel alan v farrow uh there's no way i watched this movie before 2021 uh last blockbuster naughty books unacknowledged transformers the movie wait so this is a this is a movie you've seen yes oh this is robbery dark days dark days no that's not it 
Anthropocene, the human epic, also highly recommend. It's on Canopy. Bamboozled, highly recommend. Spike Lee. Maybe I did oh, watch yeah. this in 2020. I've got Matt's on here from <gasps> A Spaceless Within. Wow. Um, it made the list. I'll see Spiracy. <laughs> Do the Right Thing. Will Burnham Inside. American Murder Family Next Door. Maybe I did watch this like over a year ago. Yeah, because then Willy's Wonderland, Alphabet. Do we have to like life. break out Nicolas Cage? I am D- I am D B. This is gonna ruin my night. Yeah, it's. I swear to God. <laughs> Describe the plot. Describe um, what uh, one. Nicolas scene. Cage, Family Man, uh, living in like rural, uh, large home with family. Mysterious rock lands in yard. Oh. Um weird demented things start to happen lots of purple going on um the color out of space color out of space <laughs> i was like i'm just gonna guess based on the title <laughs> that's what it was a secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite <laughs> which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world whoa reviews not bad very fun movie Richard Stanley. Never heard also, of Also, I'm not sure we've talked about this on the pod before, but Nicolas Cage, a Coppola. What? Do you not know this? Say more. Nicolas Cage is a Coppola. How? In what way? Like, like very much directly related to Francis Ford Coppola. Whoa. Um, let me pull it up. This is, this is some deep, deep state. Yeah, Nicholas Kim Coppola, known as Nicholas Cage. What? Um, why would you? Why would you shed that name in the industry? I mean, probably to be like, oh, like I'm, I'm not in it like for the meritocracy. I'm in it for the art of the craft or whatever. Um, his da, 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 Whoa. family Coppola. <laughs> uh, family tree. Here we go. Um, Oh, this is like I gotta, gotta do a zoom out here. If you tell me that like he's Francis Ford Coppola's son, <laughs> nephew. Wow. So wait, August Ford wait, Coppola's son. There's a family son. tree. Yeah. Where did you find this? Wikipedia. Oh my God. So Francis Ford Coppola married to Eleanor Neal. Had Sophia Coppola, Roman Coppola, Giancarlo Coppola, and then his brother August Ford Coppola. Had Mark Coppola, Christopher Coppola, Nicholas Kim Coppola. What's August's whole vibe? Let's see. An American academic, author, film executive, and advocate for the arts. Wow. Brother of director Francis Ford Coppola and father of actor Nicholas Cage. A lot of arts in this family, huh? Yeah. And film and money. <laughs> yeah, he earned a doctorate for his work on Ernest Hemingway, taught comparative literature. Wow, okay. Um, smarts. Yeah, it was on the jury for the Berlin Film Festival. Huge. An advocate for art appreciation among the visually impaired. Nice. Wow. But yeah, this so is, I had never Nicholas heard Cage, this. Nicholas Cage, nephew to Francis Ford Coppola, well, cousin, cousin to Sophia Coppola. Have they worked together? Not, in, I not that I can yeah. think of. Wow, Hollywood really is a small world mostly because nicholas cage is in everything so now everyone is connected to <laughs> yeah <laughs> the that's fair. um but yeah willie's wonderland 
Oh, it's yeah. exactly what I wanted the movie to be. Uh-huh. It was exactly the payoff that I was asking for. Nicolas Cage has no lines in this movie. Zero wow. lines. A uh, silent character. Um, drinks energy drinks. Slays demons. Wow. Um, it was just a, a delight. Like, I don't know how someone could watch the trailer for that movie and then watch the movie and then not get exactly what they came for. Great. And more. I mean... Huh? And more. <laughs> It's great. If anything, I was annoyed by like the actual movement of the plot. I just wanted more Nicolas Cage like cleaning an abandoned warehouse. Like Yeah. That's all I wanted. Like it was just terrific. Is it like colorfully lit? Oh, it or... is. I'm, it's I'm, like I'm, it, it's same same filmmaker as Mandy. Is it? I don't know. I'm asking you. I have no idea. Okay. Um for some reason they're linked in my head, but it might just be Nicolas Cage being Campy violence is Campy what violence together. Yeah. Mandy, I would say, as a piece of cinematic artwork, does a lot more okay. than Willy's Wonderland. As a piece of camp violence, Willy's Wonderland is it, baby. Wow. Um, um, and it's like, I want to say like the B plot, but it really is the A plot of the movie <laughs> that's the annoying part, where it's like... Um, so here's how the movie goes down. Okay. Uh, Nicholas Cage driving through a town, hits some spikes on the road, flat tires, gets Whoa. taken to an auto shop. Auto shop is like, uh, we only take cash and he doesn't have cash. And they're like, oh, well, like what we can do is we can have you like, I know this local businessman. Um, if you help him out, um, he'll pay for your car to get fixed and we'll have you on the road as soon as possible. Local businessman takes uh, our hero Nick Cage to Willie. <laughs> uh, no. Oh, okay. Unnamed. Not, not the eponymous Willie. No. Takes him to Willie's Wonderland, an abandoned kind of Chuck E. Cheese like place, Ooh. where he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm trying to reopen this place. You spend the night cleaning it. Uh, in the morning, we'll have your car ready." Spend the night. It's like at that. Just call AAA at <laughs> that point. <laughs> um, so Nicholas Cage starts. Oh, and then meanwhile, there's a policewoman and her adopted daughter uh who are having uh who are bickering about how they can't just keep bringing people to willie's wonderland it's evil whatever daughter and friends uh decide they're going to break nicholas cage out of willie's wonderland meanwhile nicholas oh. cage is cleaning willie's wonderland uh thoroughly and <laughs> with no no issues um the one by one, the animatronics start to come to life and try to kill him. Amazing. He fucks these bitches up, right. no question, right. and is just like one by one disposing of them. Meanwhile, the kids come into the building, and then now these all these kids are getting eaten by these mm. monster machines. Yeah. Uh, turns out town lore was that Willy's Wonderland, the guy who originally ran it, was like a pedophile satanist kind of guy and like all the people who worked there were like pedophile satanists who were like serial killers whatever so families would come to have their birthday they would like take the family into like a secret like back room for birthday parties and then like kill them and when the like town got wise to this they like had some ceremony to like move their bodies into these animatronic things forever and then they started like wreaking havoc on the town. They made a deal with the town that the town would like bring them human sacrifices if they just stopped wreaking oh. havoc on the town. So the then they set up the spikes the... and get like unsuspecting tourists. Whoa. And but yeah, horror, horror, but great. loosely 
unusual or, or, one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Anyway, Willy's Wonderland, you get exactly what you paid for. It's 99 cents on, Ima- on Amazon Prime. <laughs> like, you love that. Yeah. Love to see that. And it is, yeah, just... Like, if anything, I was just like, why are these kids breaking in? Let Nick Cage do his thing. I would have watched just an hour and a half of Nicolas Cage silently cleaning this uh, abandoned Chuck E. Cheese and fighting off the uh, bad guys one by one. Yeah. It was a joy. I mean, that, again, is presumably what people have come for. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. But ultimately, the, the integration of an actual plot I understand why it was done. Mm. It doesn't h- hurt the movie. <laughs> if Sounds any- like it yeah. might. <laughs> if anything, it's just like one of those frustrating, scary movie things where it's like, you're like, mm. don't go in there. Right. It's right behind you. Mm. You know. Teens are in danger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Well. Highly recommend for like a, a campy graphic romp, romp. That's great. Did we have any facts to check before we... Close it out. We had one, so we better get to it. And it's what is Girl in Red's name? Lay it on us. Okay. She's what? Sweet. Scandinavian. Scandinavian. Of some variety. So forgive me to all my Scandies listening. (laughs) Marie Olven Ringheim. Love it. A a three-name lady. Just enough names. So that was the fact. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, let us know what we missed. Yeah. Let us know what you think about the impossible task of creating visual art. Yes. (laughs) The easy, breezy, beautiful. Creative process. Creative process. Yeah. Is it too late for that to be title of the app? I worry it might be, but Uh, we'll 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 evaluate. Well, friends, (laughs) we're so happy to be back. Vibing. Vibing. Discoursing. Vibing. You can't see it, but I'm doing like the, yeah, 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 yeah. the hang, hang loose, loose hand. Yeah. Um. Oh my God, Joe, our biggest fan just sent me a message. Serendipitous. Okay, Joe, we love you. I'm going to text you back. <laughs> and. In real time. Bye. Bye.